0: Have you ever wondered if it would be worth it? I mean, should you really care about the church? I mean, should Christianity be any more than a passing interest of yours, a hobby maybe? Should you invest your life in the church of Jesus? Or is God's church just something that you should fit in around the edges as it works for you? I think there is a lot of noise, I hear a lot of noise anyway, about deconstruction and people dismantling their faith and walking away from the church. When I hear that, it's just easy to feel like, you know, there's nothing here. And I wonder, is Christianity really as feeble as people make it out to be? And I could ask a lot of other related questions, but sometimes it seems like the church is a waste of time, like it doesn't really matter, like church is more trouble than it's worth. You might be making your way into the church today, or you might have been here for years and years and serve the church faithfully and now are tired and think that other people should do their part. It doesn't matter if you're beginning or ending. Either way, it's easy to despise the church as something not worth it or no longer worthy of your time and energy. Whatever you think of the church, it's easy to see to see it as less than worthy of your best effort, less than worthy of your giving. And if you were to be honest, you'd even wonder why God would send His Son for such a motley group as the church. Now I suppose if you have even the smallest whisper of thoughts like these, imagine what it would have been like To be there in the room as Jesus is teaching and you look around at the 11 other people, most of whom would rather be fishing. And you think, is this ever going to amount to anything? How in the world could this turn into something worthwhile? So I think that's at the heart of many of our doubts about most everything, really. Is is it going to amount to anything? Is it worth pursuing? Is it worth investing in? We never know. You almost never know ahead of time. But I think that's especially true of the church. Will it amount to anything? Jesus knew this would be a question or an issue for his early followers and I imagine he suspected we would struggle with it as well. And so, as a remedy He told us some stories. So I want to look at two of them this morning and invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 31. Matthew 13 contains numerous stories. These two are embedded in a larger story that tells us, reminds us to be patient because one day, um, one day God will make All things right. Matthew 13, I'll begin reading in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field, it is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them, without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So here we see Jesus telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that the kingdom of heaven is neither insignificant nor hidden but will grow into a glorious kingdom that is out of proportion to its beginning and a glorious kingdom that permeates everything. In other words, you may underestimate the kingdom now. You may not be able to see the kingdom now. But one day, it will impress you. It will surprise you. It will grow beyond your wildest expectation. And that will prove completely uh, out of proportion to its beginning and it will, it will reach everything. And so that really is the essence of these two stories. Look first at the mustard seed. The mustard seed answers the question, why is the kingdom of heaven so insignificant? Why is the kingdom of heaven So insignificant. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. A man took, sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it had grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree and the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus wants us to see here in this parable of the mustard seed that the kingdom produces... Ultimate consequences out of all proportion to the insignificant and humble beginnings. Really, if you think about it, that's what Advent season is about, isn't it? Remembering this little mustard seed of a baby planted in a manger. And one would look at that and say, how can anything significant come from Him? He's born to refugee parents. How can anything come of the mustard seed that is significant at all? There have been people who have sort of uh, quibbled with Jesus' story. The mustard seed the smallest of all seeds that a man sows in his garden. And people get all uptight about the mustard seed not being the smallest seed. Like there are smaller seeds than a mustard seed. And so they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't believe the Bible. Well, turns out that the smallest seed in the world is produced by the epip- epiphytic orchids in the tropical rainforests. Some of the seeds are only one three hundredth of an inch long, smaller than the resolution that the human eye can see unaided by a microscope. In fact, it takes, thir- it takes 35 million of these seeds to make an ounce. That's the smallest seed in the world. And somebody's like saying, well, there you go. So Jesus said smallest seed, and there's smaller ones. These orchid seeds are dispersed into the air, really like dust particles, and come to rest on the upper e- uh, canopy of the rainforest trees and eventually germinate. And that's why they're so small as they travel on the wind. You say, well, there you go. Now, I don't know much about telling a story. But really, if you have to, like, go to the tropical rainforest and talk about how this dusty little sea travels on the air and it's, how small it is, you know, it's going to ruin your whole story. And so, Jesus, just, Jesus really just took the smallest seed these people would ever sow in their field. They were familiar with mustard seeds. And so he would ta- they would take them and they would sow them in their field and they would grow and produce a crop of mustard. And they were used to that. And so he could take the mustard seed without um, having to explain, well, it's you know, technically there are some smaller seeds in this. That just doesn't really work. In fact, the mustard seed is proverbial for its smallness. Other times, Jesus talked about a mustard seed, and he didn't use, he didn't, he didn't say, oh, it's the smallest. He just said, he just threw it out there. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move this mountain or you can move this mulberry tree. In other words, you don't need very much. And nobody questioned, oh, that's not the smallest. It's just small. That's the point of it. It's just insignificant. It doesn't look like much. That's the point. And so it would have ruined Jesus' story to have to do some small excursus about um, you know botany or plants in the, the tropical rainforest. But the reality is, the size of the mustard seed compared to the size of the mustard plant is the point of the parable. That's what's significant. And so, if Jesus is not telling us about seeds, he's not telling us about botany, what is he telling us about? He's telling us about his kingdom and how it might look insignificant right now, like it's not much to look at. But one day, it won't. It may not be worth noticing, or may not be worth it participating in, but one day it will be. And so think about it. It's no small thing that the church went from 12 disciples to 120 people in praying in an upper room, afraid of the authorities at the very beginning. a Tiny little mustard seed. To become 5 to 10 million people within 300 years in the Roman Empire. Such that they had to make new laws to respect Christians. Because there were so many of them. Now 300 years may seem like a long time, but it's not very long to grow something from 120 people to 5 to 10 million. The church, the mustard seed church, grew by preaching a crucified and resurrected Savior. An offense to the Roman Empire. They did it by nursing the sick, and by valuing women, by saving babies, by supporting monogamous marriage, by holding a different sexual ethic, by sending missionaries, and by suffering martyrdom. The thing Jesus uh, taught was so uh, radical that by doing them, the Roman culture took notice and found this little band of mustard seed believers to be incredibly... Attractive. They started like a mustard seed and grew into a world-changing plant. And I just have to tell you that this is a great encouragement to me, personally. Most of you know that uh, I have uh, served this church with our 23 parking spaces uh, for Years and years. And I've had people counsel me that I should go on to bigger and better things. And there have been times, especially during the last couple years in COVID, when we had to measure off little dots on the pew. Some of you remember this. And figure out how far apart a could be. And have one group downstairs and another upstairs. It was miserable. And I wondered, anything ever going to become of this? Is this ever going to amount to anything? The reality is that even our church reflects Jesus' mustard seed parable. There are pastors all up and down I 5 who are trained here at this church. There are missionaries uh, in Africa, missionaries in China, missionaries in Brazil, missionaries planting churches, training pastors that were sent out by our church. There's Bibles being translated in Africa because of people sent out by our church. It's just a little mustard seed. but Things, things tend to grow. Living things tend to grow. And next week, in fact... One of those missionaries that we sent out 44 years ago is going to be here. We're going to celebrate their retirement. And we have daughter churches in China that you don't even know about. But if you gave them a DNA test, they would say, we're related to the church there in West Lynn because of the little things. Like somebody planting his life in Macau and the mustard seed grew. Investment in seemingly insignificant kingdom things bears fruit. There's probably nothing that marks Christianity more than our humble beginnings, even our Savior. Was born in a barn, laid in a manger, ran from people who tried to kill him, died on a cross. And now the church of Jesus Christ is spreading throughout the world like a huge tree. Well, that's the mustard seed, the extent of the kingdom. It may look insignificant, but it's not. The second parable is about leaven or yeast. And it answers the question, why is the kingdom of heaven so invisible? Jesus told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And it's mysterious. that You can put yeast in some dough and... Next thing you know, there are bubbles. And the next thing you know, the dough rises. And You wonder, how did that happen? I didn't see anything happen. But it does. One commentator said, there's a distinction between this parable and the last one. It's that the mustard seed suggests the extensive growth of the kingdom and the yeast, the intensive transformation brought by the kingdom of heaven. The yeast doesn't grow, it permeates. And it's a has its inevitable effect despite the small quantity that's used. And it recalls Jesus' words here. In both parables, it's clear that at present, the kingdom of heaven operates not with an apocalyptic, uh, catastrophic um, event, but quietly from small beginnings. You think, how does it do that? How does it grow from these small, insignificant beginnings? Well, one way, and one way the yeast works is, is simply in the realm of ideas. If you were to think about uh, the world, I'm just going to say, you'd be thinking with Christian ideas. Because ideas represent the invisible reach of Christianity. In his book, Dominion, how the Christian revolution remade the world, Tom Holland points out that the big ideas that we all love and embrace and like about our world derive from Christianity. If you think human rights are important or science or sexual ethics that everyone has the right over his or her own body or love or forgiveness or caring for the poor and widows and orphans, or justice for all, or personal freedom, and many, many more. If you think those are important, you're thinking about Christian ideas. All of them rise from Christian beginnings. And You say, yes, but what about, what about the church? It, it's got its own problems. Well, it does have its own problems. But, you can't even talk about the problems the church has without using ideas that are Christian ideas. The very very critique that anyone might level against the church comes itself from the church. Because the teachings of Jesus have so permeated invisibly, like leaven, our world. I think the leaven just sneaks in there in ways that we can't see and don't understand. But also, the kingdom grows in other invisible ways. I mean, certainly there are visible things that represent the institutions of Christianity. The, the outgrowth of this mustard seed, when I, talk, when I said that the mustard seed grew because they cared for the sick, they did in the beginning. And then later, they built hospitals. They cared about the education of women and children and yes they did and then later they uh, started universities. All of that is the Christian growth of from this mustard seed. But the growth from the leaven is simpler than that. It's the little things. It's really the the phone call that you make to somebody that you know received an unfortunate diagnosis from the doctor. Or it's the friendship that you don't give up on, even though someone would never pay you back. Never really be the kind of friend that you hoped they'd be. It's the generosity that when when people give in the name of Christ to people who will never pay them back. That happens because of the influence of Jesus. And it's not just one of those. You might think, oh, I remember 10 years ago I did something like that. That's great. But you know what? Those things are happening all the time from this church, but from many, 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 many other churches all around the world, all throughout history, and the church, little by little, relationship by relationship, conversation by conversation, grows. Like leaven that infiltrates unseen and unnoticed. Nobody ever gets credit for it. Yet, God uses those small, insignificant, seemingly insignificant investments in the kingdom. The mustard seed represents the external expansion of the kingdom and the leaven, the unseen penetration of the kingdom. You see, one of the ways that I think you should even think about um, the leaven and the way the leaven of the kingdom works into your life. Let me just say, I mean, leaven leaven is sometimes referred to in negative terms in the Bible. Here, unquestionably, it's in positive terms. Really, leaven is neutral. If there's some modifier on it, like beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, then you would... Well, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees because, in that re- regard, he's defined what he means by leaven. But here is just, he wants us to know the kingdom makes its way unseen into all these different words. And I'll tell you, the kingdom makes its way even in your life in ways that you don't see or notice sometimes. I mean, there are times when I'm just thinking about my own life and it doesn't look like anything's happening. And it doesn't look like, I mean, I read the Bible and nothing you know, jumps out at me. It's like, oh, there's another day. There's another thing. But you know what? Over the course of time, unseen, surprisingly, God makes changes in my own heart because of His Word and the work of the kingdom of heaven in my life. And you'll surprise yourself that the kingdom will invisibly invade you as well when you submit to the king of the kingdom. The kingdom expands like a mustard seed into a plant and it permeates like yeast into dough. One is obvious, the other is invisible. It's one thing for me to get excited about the expansion of the kingdom, and what God is doing in the world, what He's doing now, what He's done from the beginning, that's all great. But somebody might raise their hand and say, well, what about all the mistakes of the church? What about all the things the church gets wrong? And certainly, the church has gotten a lot of things wrong. There have been a lot of things in the name of Jesus that have been done that are evil. In verses 34 and 35... Matthew cites the words of the prophet, and he answers the question, why is the kingdom so imperfect? See, because you can despise it because it's insignificant, you can despise it because it's invisible, you can despise it because it's imperfect, but nonetheless, you need to take note of it, because the kingdom of Jesus will ultimately win. Look at verse 34 and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So it's important to notice that the stories came from Jesus. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then Matthew gives us here the editorial comment. On the stories of Jesus. His editorial comment on the stories of Jesus comes from the prophet. And the prophet he refers to is a man called Asaph in what he wrote in Psalm 78. So, this prophecy that Matthew talks about is from Psalm 78, and he quotes the introduction to the psalm, which reads like this A mask of Asaph, give ear, O my people to my teaching incline your ears to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth in a parable i will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us it's interesting that this is a very long psalm 72 verses in fact but matthew only quotes the introduction he doesn't even really quote what the psalm is about and I think it would be naive to think that this would have been the only Scripture that Matthew thought of that had the word parable in it. It's like, oh, I've got to say something about the Old Testament. I hmm. wonder where I can find the word parable. And he like pulled up his computer Bible and searched, and there it was, and so he included it. That's not how that worked. Generally, when Matthew does this, and he does it all the time, this fulfills what the prophet said. When he does that, He's wanting you to recognize kind of the whole thing. He said, I'm going back there because there are uh, treasures there that I want you to go back and see. And so, he's probably trying, by using the introduction, to remind us of the entire psalm. And so, Psalm 78 goes on to say, We will teach the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord to the next generation." even to those yet unborn. And so the first thing that you would notice if you were to read Psalm 78 is that this kingdom growth, and I can say kingdom growth because he was talking about the kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament from its humble beginnings to King David. That's, that's the arc of Psalm 78. That that growth of the kingdom is slow. In fact, it's so slow, it's generational. It was in the Old Testament kingdom and it is in the New Testament kingdom. It's slow like the growth of a plant. It's slow like the rising of dough. It's slow like a farmer who waits to harvest his wheat It's full of weeds. And I think what Matthew wants us to go back and notice is that this kingdom and the growth of the kingdom will take generations of faithful parents and grandparents passing on the teaching of Jesus. Generations of parents passing on the um, character and the qualities and the kingdom ideals of Jesus before the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. And so parents, let me just say you have an important kingdom role to play. In fact, you have you have such a vital a vital kingdom privilege to teach the next generation about Jesus. You are part of what God is doing Not just now, but what God is doing in the future to bring His kingdom to fruition. And so, one of the things to notice in Psalm 78 through this prophecy is that the kingdom is slow and it's generational. It's one generation telling the next generation. But the other thing, if you were to read Psalm 78, um, you would have to recognize that it's not just something about generations. It's really about all of the mistakes and the rebellion and the foibles of the rebellious people of God in the Old Testament. In fact, if you were to read Psalm 78, it rehearses rebellion after rebellion after rebellion so that you'd think, these people don't get it at all. These people are a, a hot mess. And yet, God's plan still comes to fruition. You still have all of this rebellion in the beginning and then you have King David that God Himself takes and plants on the throne in this marvelous kingdom that God has granted. And that's how you see it in the Old Testament. All of this rebellion yet somehow in the midst of all of the mistakes and all of the wrongdoing and all of the failure God brings about his plan and places David on the throne. The arc of Psalm 78 from all this rebellion to King David is a similar arc to the one that you see in the life of Jesus. That Jesus from the beginning, when he's talking about these parables, to hide them from those who are rebellious, to hide them from those who don't have ears to hear. So that those who do have ears understand what the kingdom will be like. It's from that beginning, with this mixed group, that Jesus comes one day to sit on the throne in the new heaven and the new earth, when he will one day establish his kingdom and rule the world. You see, from Psalm 78, the lesser points to the greater. David points to Jesus. The rebellious Israelites point us to the rebellious people really of every age. To the age that Jesus was giving these parables to, to our age. So that we recognize that yes, in fact, the kingdom is not stopped by people who are failures. So yeah, Psalm 72 reaches back. It reaches back to the beginning of Israel. But Matthew when he tells us, when he tells us that this is to fill, fulfill the word of the prophet, he reaches back even farther. See, I don't know if you remember Psalm 78 said, "Words of of old, from of old," and here Matthew says, "I'm going to tell you something from before the foundation of the world." Let's go back to the very start, the very deep truth that God wanted the plan of God from the beginning. That's what I want to tell you about. That's the kingdom. So rather than the exodus, he spoke, speaks to us of things from before the foundation of the world, which really is about the kingdom of King Jesus. Jesus was not an afterthought to God. He didn't like put his head in his hands and say, oh, this... None of this is working. I need to send my son. From the beginning, before the foundation of the world, God established that Jesus would be the Savior of His people and the King of the kingdom. And the other thing Matthew reminds us of is that people didn't see it. They didn't see it on the front end. And then the other thing, yes, Matthew goes farther back than Psalm 78, but Psalm 78 Stops abruptly with David. It just goes through failure, 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 failure. King David, who he, whom God took from the sheep pen and put him on the throne. The end. I think there's more to the story than that, I think. But he stops. Matthew doesn't stop. Matthew extends far beyond Psalm 78. Because Matthew has in view a kingdom that will never fail. Not a kingdom like David sat, uh, uh, ruled where the the kingdom lasted in good shape for 40 years and then began to deteriorate. Matthew has in view a kingdom where Jesus will one day reign and his glory will be manifest. And there will be a new heaven and new earth where Every wrong is made right. Where every promise finds its fulfillment. When every tear is wiped away. That's the kingdom Matthew has in view. And you know what? That kingdom didn't look very impressive at the beginning. That kingdom doesn't really look that impressive right now. Sometimes you can't even see it. And for certain it's not perfect. But you have to deal with it. Because it's here. It's here and it's coming. And that's why the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's not very impressive at the beginning. But one day it will be. It's like leaven. You can't see it now. But one day it will make all the difference. That's how the kingdom of heaven is. Whether you despise the kingdom or neglect the kingdom or yawn at the kingdom because it's insignificant or because it's invisible or because it's imperfect, Jesus wants to encourage you today that what He is doing in the world through Jesus will one day end up glorious and you will want to be part of it. And so if you ever think about what God's doing in the world or Think about the church and youth. worry there's n- not much there. Remember the mustard seed. Because one day God's kingdom will spread and encompass the whole world. If you look around and it's boring or you can't see anything happening. Even in your own life you can't see anything happening. I want encourage you to believe and remember the parables of 11. because God's kingdom may be invisible now, but one day it will permeate all of you and all of the earth. Or if you look at the church and you wonder how these messed- up people could ever represent a perfect king, remember what the prophet spoke in Psalm 78. Because we have a king who is greater than David. Who has planted a mustard seed. Who has kneaded the leaven into the dough. And in spite of the failings of his people. He will one day reign victorious. In his kingdom. And you'll want to be part of that. Let's pray. Oh Heavenly Father. We do want to be part of it. We do want you to include us. Father, I pray that everyone hearing my voice might long to be part of what you're doing in the world. That might desire more than anything to have the peace that you offer, to experience the love that you give to us in Jesus, that they might desire to hunger and thirst, that everything would be made right. And so, Father, we ask that You would set us in a place where we trust You, where we love You, where we are part of Your kingdom. Would You help us this morning to not give up, but to believe that You are at work and one day You will win. So I pray this in the name of our victorious King Jesus. Amen.